0: at least anymore I'm not all right uh it is so good to be here with you and it's such a blessing to be able to talk about peace and and in that I'm going to talk a little bit about something I think that afflicts us all and that's the idea of anxiety Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about that too but first of all if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1st Peter uh, chapter 5 we're going to look at 1st Peter chapter 5 and and that 's really where a lot of our points are going to come from there's a few other passages, uh, I say a few other passages, quite a few other passages that we'll take a look at uh, this evening as well, but uh, we'll be taking our points from 1 Peter chapter five verses one through eleven. I think that all of us have dealt with fear, all of us uh, in here have lived long enough uh, to get news that we don 't appreciate, news that we don 't like, uh, and if you haven't, uh, just wait longer, right. Uh, you know, Jesus talks a lot about uh, the struggles of this life. He does not want us to have any kind of facade or idea that if we live for him, that life is going to be easy. There's a lot of people who've made a lot of money preaching the fact that Je- that somewhere in the scriptures, Jesus made this big promise that if you give your life to him, you're never going to face any struggles. And frankly, putting I don't, I don't know where they find that. I don't even know where they find the text to really back that up, because we all face struggles, and it's because of those struggles that we must turn to Jesus. Uh, You know, when he says to his disciples, are you going to leave me too? And Peter makes that wonderful uh, proclamation, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. But really, that's the crux of it. Who do we turn to when there's nothing else to turn to? Uh, Who do we turn to when there are a lot of other things to turn to. And hopefully in both of those situations the answer is Jesus. In number 6 verse 26 we see that Moses is commanded to turn to Aaron. And he talks about peace. May God give you peace. From the very beginning we learn that God is a giver of peace. He has the ability to give us that wonderful awesome feeling of peace. But not only the feeling of peace but true peace. The peace that Paul says passes all understanding. It's wonderful when they tell us things like that, right? There's another place where he says that you can know the unknowable love of Christ. It's <laughs> like, wait a minute. I don't quite understand what you're saying. And then he says you can have the peace that passes all understanding. Which is funny because now I'm going to try to talk to you and help you understand it. Something that I myself don't completely understand. But we'll give it our best shot about that. Uh, John, the book of Revelation has shown heaven. And then he's told to tell everybody what it's like. How frustrating that must have been. How frustrating it must have been for Jesus to deal with people who were so anxious about things. And yet we have a wonderful discussion in John 14, 15, and 16 where he's trying to bring them comfort. In fact, sometimes some of the texts that are used to bring us comfort, they only produce sometimes more anxiety. But that's our worldliness that brings those two things. In Isaiah 9 verse 6, Jesus is referenced as the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. In connection with being the one who shoulders the government. When's the last time anybody said government and you felt peace? I'm 38. I don't think I've ever felt peace when somebody mentions the government. You know, there's one thing that I can truly be thankful for, whatever part of the aisle that you fall on. I can thank Barack Obama for helping me realize that the guy who sits there, woman who sits there in the White House, has very little authority over my life. And if I don't want to give them any more than they're due, right? And if I learn anything from that, that's what I learned. And so when a new guy stepped in and everybody is freaking out, uh, you know, I could look to them and go, hey, listen, you know, let's not give that guy or that gal any more authority in our lives than do, than that's what's been given them. And really and honestly, that's everything in life. Good news, bad news, celebration, mourning. There's a time for all those things, but there's also a time in which we say, Okay, God, what's the plan? I'm in it to win it, and you're the only one who's going to win. So I'm going to stick with you. The Prince of Peace, Galatians 5.22, tells us that peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. So it's not only does God the Father give it, Jesus the Son gives it, and God the Spirit gives it, in the fruit of the Spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-11, through 11, Peter is telling them, he, start, he starts off talking to the shepherds. He's talking to elders, uh, pastors, whatever word you want to use for them. He, he starts off the chapter speaking to them, and is talking about leading, shepherding the flock. We get a wonderful picture of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. If you're a leader in the church, and really if you're a Christian, period, you're a leader, or should be a leader of some sort. Psalm 23 is a perfect picture of how we should lead people. We should lead people. We should be there for them, even in the shadow of death. There are some people who are in this room right now who visited me when I was in the shadow of death. Uh, most everybody in this room probably prayed for me in the shadow of death and for that I thank you, I am a walking, living embodiment of the power of prayer uh, the power of this this peace over anxiety, I think about 15 minutes while I was in that hospital, for those of you that don't know, leukemia uh, and I was in Huntsville Hospital for 36 days the 7th floor, other than to go get tests and all that good stuff and they basically obliterated my immune system. Uh, And so they, they, you know, people, everybody I saw was wearing gloves and masks and looked like I was uh, contagious, you know. And so they would have to come in, wash up just to be around me, you know. And so I think about 15 minutes of that time in the hospital, I was by myself. And all of a sudden I was transformed into that little boy who used to get up at Jacksonburg Church of Christ in Florence, Alabama and sing the song, Where No One Stands Alone. As far back as I can remember from the time my mom and dad divorced, I have dealt with being alone. That's the worst fear I have. Please do not leave me alone. And I can remember saying that at the ripe old age of 38 to my wife going, don't leave me alone. Please don't leave. And uh, they left for 15 minutes, but it felt like hours. 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 And I don't know if you've seen uh, Spider-Man or not, or done anything, or have any care about Spider-Man, but he has a, he has a, a foe uh, that's the black suit, and it's called the symbiote, and he crawls up, and, and he, he becomes this different character, right? It's this dark side of him, and it brings out the dark side of Spider-Man. Uh, I guess I could have just made a Star Wars reference, but that's not my kind of stuff. But anyways, and, and I could feel that. Sitting there, I could feel those, that doubt and that anxiety creep up. And I, I don't know what to call it. I don't know how you're going to look at me at this. Whatever. But I could feel it climbing up my spine. And that idea of doubt start to creep in. The thoughts of, is God who he says he is? Is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the one? And for 15 minutes, like I said, it felt like hours. I, I, I dealt with that. There are people who live in that all the time and we wonder why people deal with anxiety and struggle with those issues. There are people who in this very moment don't see another way out except death and we've been given this tremendous responsibility and this wonderful ability to take light and as we'll talk about hope to these people to these people I imagine there were people who wanted to visit me but didn't because they didn't know what to say. And what I would say to those people is, I wasn't looking for anybody to say anything. I just needed people to be there, from Facebook to physically being there to whatever avenue you took. And I had over three hundred visitors. I, I've got. I'm starting to bring them. One day I'm going to bring them one of these things, two boxes full of cards. I mean, the postal workers that worked at hospital, man, they were just blown away. They were amazed. We've never seen this before, and they had to make several trips. It's awesome. But there are people in the same floor that never got a visitor. Nobody ever darkened their door. A tremendous opportunity for the church to be there in the gap for someone else. It's hard to go to the 7th floor of Huntsville Hospital. I've been back, I think, twice. And I didn't stay very long. But I wanted to go encourage those nurses. Hey, I'm doing good. This is because of you. This is the awesomeness that you embody. Thank you so much. But you know what I haven't been able to bring myself to do? Go down that hallway. I told myself when I get out, I'm going to be back. And I'm going to come visit these people. And I hope to muster up that courage one day. So don't stop praying for me still need it. Keep them coming. So, in 1 Peter 5, 1-11, he's talking to the leadership. We're going to get to verse, let's see, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. A lot of times, depending on where you are, you if you're an elder, you like that being subject to your elders, right? Uh, if you're the young ones, you like that, hey, everybody be humble towards one another. But both of them are commands, right? Uh, wherever you're at tonight, those are two commands that we have, that we should be humble towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, we get our first point. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Our first point, verses 5 and 6, is that anxiety arises from pride. Anxiety arises from pride. Too much Pride. Now understand that we've got to take this verse and realize what it's saying. We all want to be exalted, right? We all want to be exalted. We all want to be glorified. You know, everybody at my school, every athlete wants to win. But not every athlete's willing to do what it takes to win. You know, Nick Saban's quoted, Everybody wants to be a beast until you have to do what beasts do. Everybody wants to wimp. They don't know that. Everybody wants to be exalted until you realize that what exalted means in the Bible is to suffer. Jesus was exalted. Jesus was glorified. But his glorying and his exaltation was on a cross. You look at when Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead. He knows. If you look in that verse, like it's John 11, he, he talks about it. Over and over again, he says, my glory, my glory, my glory, my glory. And what we read that and we go, man, yeah, raising from the dead, right? And that's part of it. But what he means in that context is, is being dead, is dying. And not just dying, dying a death that none of us would wish on our dog. You could not treat your dog at home the way they treated Jesus without going to jail today. You realize that, right? And rightfully so. I love dogs. Dogs don't deserve that, Right? But if dogs don't deserve that, Jesus certainly didn't. But over and over again, he talks about, I want to glorify the Father. And when he says, I want to glorify the Father, it's in the darkest moment. When it's not easy. When it's the hardest. The hardest. I remember sitting in that hospital room and saying, Lord, give me one more sermon. I love preaching. Okay, I love it. I love to teach it. I've had some opportunities to go back and be a youth minister. Some great opportunities that were tempted. But I'd have to give up some of this preaching. And boy, I like teaching and preaching. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. But the difference is, is, if I love doing that, do I love people enough to love them? To step out of the pulpit as awesome and as fun as it is and as amped as I get to do it. Do they see it every day? And did they see it in my darkest moment? Did they see The glory of the Father, not myself. And that's a big question we all have to ask. Anxiety arises from pride. Sometimes we're too prideful to acknowledge sin. Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Jesus openly says, I did not come to give peace, but to divide. And Matthew, I believe in his gospel, he says, I brought a sword. I brought a sword. He said, I'm going to make you choose. There is a choice to make. Revelation, he says, I want you to choose. I want you to make a choice. I want you to be on fire for me. But don't kid yourself. You cannot be on fire for me and be cold some of the time. You've got to be fired. Let's go. Make a choice. He's going to push the envelope. He does. There are these people who've created this peace, hippie, loving Jesus who never said anything that ever hurt anybody's feelings or challenged them. Where is that guy? And where do you find him? The Pharisees didn't get a lot of that. Sadducees didn't get a lot of that. You know who I have a lot in common with outside of they're brilliant and smart and know the Bible, the Old Testament, and, and like five different languages backwards and forth? I got a lot in common with the Pharisees because I think I've got the truth. And sometimes I treat that truth like a possession. And that's not the way the truth works. I think that's the Spirit and how the Spirit works we want things to be cookie cutter we want them to be the same way for everybody all the time and the holy spirit says that ain't it now the holy spirit will never go against what the word of god says don't get me wrong god's not a god he doesn't give us a spirit of confusion but the spirit looks different for everybody depending on where you're at in your life if you're 40 years older than me Hopefully you've learned something along the way and have some wisdom to impart to me, just like I have some wisdom to impart to students. It looks different. And guess what that makes us do? It gives us a little anxiety. Jesus is going to push the envelope. He's going to challenge you. If you haven't been challenged by Jesus in a long time, then your church needs to change. Because every time I read Scripture, I'm getting challenged. I used to read the Scripture, and I made myself out to be Jesus, right? The good guy. Right? I entered the scripture to prove out everybody else was wrong. But the more and more I study scripture, the more, and more I realize I'm the bad guy. I'm the guy he's getting on to. When he talks to the Pharisees. I'm like, yes, Lord, <laughs> help me not to be like that. Help me not to treat the truth as though I own it. He's going to push the envelope. He's going to make you acknowledge sin. And there are people who just don't like that enough that they'll just pass on Jesus. There are people in his day who did it. There have been people since he left who've done it. There are people today who refuse to do it. Sin is going to cause some anxiety, especially if you choose to continue to live in it. Because Jesus loves you too much to leave you where you are. When I was sitting in that hospital room. I remember praying, Lord, help me not to miss the lesson. Don't let me miss the point. I do not think that God gave me cancer. Okay? I have sin in my life. I deserve death. And it's going to come one day, whether it's in the next year or 40 years from now. It's coming. And it's because of my sin. Romans, right? For we've all fallen short of the wages of sin is death. God did not give me cancer. But God can teach us lessons in our darkest moment. Lord, help me not to miss it. You know what? Since I've been in remission, the temptation is to fall back into my old ways. I'm just going to go back to the way I did it before. No. Don't let me do that. Help me to acknowledge what needs to change. But then not only to acknowledge what needs to change, confess it. Confess what needs to change. Anxiety arises when we're too prideful to confess sin. Let's turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still... In darkness, that's chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 9, although that one works too. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that today? Because if you believe that it takes confessing your sin to continue to walk in the light as He is the light, confession shouldn't be that hard. Right? See, we picture confession is as I've got to walk down this aisle and confess. That's not it. It's every day you wake up and the Spirit goes, hey, listen, this is not of God. And I go, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. I confess that. Change it. It's yours to change. Jesus himself does it in the garden, right? Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus says, if if there's any other way that we can do this, let's do it. But if it's your will, your will trumps. It's number one. And so the spirit, and that's how that spirit moves. Is how the Word of God works. It comes in your heart and it finds all those dark spots. And it throws up a red flag. And sometimes those red flags hurt. Let me tell you, they hurt. They hurt. The hardest thing I've ever done in my life is not battle leukemia, y'all. It's being foster parent. Till the day I die, that may be the toughest thing I've ever done. I played football at... Five, nothing, a hundred pounds of senior. Nothing on being a foster parent. Those kids found every dark spot in my heart, and they jumped up and down on it like a trampoline. All right? If I go to a speaking engagement and I've got peace, what's the first thing I'm going to deal with as soon as we get in the car? Anxiety over getting there. We're not going to get there. We're not going to get there. We're going to be late. We're going to be late. We're going to be late. Anxiety out my ears. So there's my confession, right? It's hard. It's difficult. But really and honestly, he lays it out very simple there. Confess it. Nobody in here is going to stand up and say they're perfect. But sometimes we try to act like we are, right? You know, I gave up going and I work at church. I gave up, and I'm sure Brother Bradley's has done the same thing. Anybody that's ever worked at church long enough, we don't come here expecting Perfection. So why do you come here expecting it from us? Amen, brother. Right? I don't come to church expecting perfection. Alright? You shouldn't either. We're all messed up. We've all got sins to confess. We're all going to be challenged. Hopefully you're challenged tonight. There's something in your heart. Hopefully that you're going to confess right now. You don't have to come forward and do that. The Spirit knows. It's are we willing to give it up. Acknowledge sin and confess it. Boy, that takes a lot of anxiety out of the equation. Verse 7 of 1 Peter talks about anxiety arises from doubt. Verse 7 Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Do we really believe that He cares for us? cares for us. One of the greatest abilities that we can have is to be available. Is to be available. I've got a kid who's on my football team. He goes to church with us too. And he comes into my office. I don't really think he likes football very much. But he comes into my fieldhouse office and he talks about cars, glass packs. I literally looked at him the other day, I said, son, I have no idea what you're talking about. But if you feel like you need to talk about it, I'm all ears, man. I'm available. Let me hear it. Just understand, I, I may not be able to talk very much because I don't know what you're talking about. I know gas goes where the gas goes. I think I might know where the oil goes. That's about it. Okay? But I'm available. You know what he's done since I told him that? He comes in and talks to me about cars. God is available. You want to know what would change the world for a lot of people who don't believe in God? Is this idea of availability. You know what changed change people's mind about the church? We're available. We're interested. We want to know. Not only do we not want to We don't want to know the gospel. We want to know to bear it with you. Come on now. Right. There is no way the two kids that are bearing my last name now. Will be bearing my last name. If it was not for our church family. Impossible. Impossible. They came and stayed with them. When when I couldn't be there, when Whitney finally had to go back to work, they came and stayed with them. They love them. Those kids have got like twenty five sets of grandparents at church with us. They're probably missing them tonight, right? But there's no way that we could have done that. There are a lot of people who are anxious about being foster parents in the church today. Who love to have kids, love to have a bunch of them run around, but they're going to be afraid to get into it. And they're going to be what? Alone. What if I can't do it? And God says, oh, you can't do it. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. You can't do it. And then God says, but I can. I'm not going to say I heard God's voice one night at 30 in the morning. But I got as close as I've ever gotten to hear him. Because I remember exclaiming with that baby boy in my arms. and saying, I can't do it. After singing every BBS song I do. Not for him, but for me. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm not saying I heard his voice audibly. But it was just like, literally, it hit me. But he can. But he can. We tend to make things a lot more difficult than it has to be. We found out later he just wanted to be laid down in his bed by himself. <laughs> you know. But we were doing all the you know right things. Our doubt comes because we question whether God has the authority. Or is he true righteousness? Is he going to be for, there for us when we need him the most? First John verse nine, or verse 10, one in verse 10, the very next verse that we read just a few minutes ago <clears throat> says, if I can find it myself, "If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us." He says, "By announcing that we're, we're sinners, we make him look good." I'm still trying to figure out the equation of how Paul he tells Paul,, you know, in your weakness, I'm made stronger. That doesn't equate, that's not how math works. I don't know. We just read that verse and we get all this encouragement. I'll read that and I scratch my head like, how does that work? Well, 1 John 9 or 1 John 10, verse 10 says that if we confess our sins then we are saying we need him. And there's a difference. There's those of us here tonight who know we need him. There are people outside this room who need him but they don't know it, and they refuse to acknowledge it, and then they refuse to confess it. I know people who are just swamped with anxiety because they don't know what's right or wrong. Political correctness, I get being nice to each other. We should shoot to be nice for you. But a lot of those people are like a dog chasing their tail, man. They're just going to turn and eat each other eventually. But legalism in the church is the same thing, right? Right? So I can't point much of a finger at them because I've been the legalist all my life, chasing my own tail. And guess what? I never catch it. I never catch it. Because I think, man, if I'm just good enough, if I do enough right things, then I'll be worthy. And it's really what First 1 John 1.10 tells us is that's the opposite direction. It's saying, I'm unworthy, I can't do it, I've got sin, I'm going to mess up. Trust me, if in Romans 7 Paul says, I can't do it, you can't. You can't. And so do we really trust Him to be who He says He is? He said He justified us. In James chapter 1, verse 5 and 8, He says, Come to God asking for wisdom, but you better not doubt. You better believe He is. Hebrews says believe that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. When people seek out the right thing to do, what are they really seeking? Him. There's just some people out there who refuse to acknowledge Him. And really even above right and wrong, which most of us can get down pat, there's this level of righteousness. He justified us. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says that He was beaten. It's through uh, for our transgressions so that we could have peace. He took our chastisement so that we could have peace. Peace, what well, we're talking about tonight, justification. Romans 5.1 says that we're justified through the faith. Jesus says in John chapter uh, 14, which we'll be visiting here in just a moment. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me and my sacrifice. If you can add, let me add that there. I think it's inferred. You can't get to the righteousness of God without Jesus. And that's what people want. We want to get to the righteous part, but we don't want Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not possible. You're beating your head against the wall. That's legalism. That's the definition of legalism. I can do good enough that I can get to the Father without Jesus. Paul says that if one person could do it right without Jesus, then why did he come? Because if one man could do it, we just follow his path right. Jesus says, I'm the way, of the true life. I've shown you how to do this, I've justified you. Do we believe in the justification of Jesus through Jesus? of Jesus, through Jesus. Do we believe in that? Do we believe that Jesus died for us on the cross? Raised the third day. And do we believe in the sanctification process? Romans 8 verse 6. If you listen to any of my sermons, you knew at some point we was going to Romans 8. Because Romans 8, y'all, I'm living from it. It's my jam. I get in a situation. I'm telling you that the doctor come in he said, We're going to do a bone marrow biopsy. Romans 8. For the suffering of this world does not even bear mentioning to the glory that is to come. I quoted that a lot. That old guy's taking that, you know, let's just leave it at that. The suffering of this world, i am not suffered a lot, y'all. Nothing in comparison. There's some people who would just laugh at my suffering. Ridiculous. That's nothing. My older brother's got cerebral palsy, eight surgeries, some of them to save his life, would scoff. At my suffering, right? Gives me a lot of perspective. This ain't nothing compared to what he's done, right? Well, there's nothing compared to what Jesus has done and suffered. And Romans 8 later says, if he's not going to condemn you, who can? All right. Yeah. Jesus is not going to condemn me, who can, right? Who can stand up and cast something that God doesn't already know? Well, you lied that one time. God's not going to be like, oh, really? I didn't know that. He knew it. Earlier in Romans he says he died for you at the right time. When you had nothing to offer him, he died for you. Romans chapter eight. I better get rolling. Running out of time. Eight verse six. For the set to set the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and what's that word? We're in Bible class, right? So you can talk. Life and peace. We can have it, y'all. Do you think you can possess peace? Do you think it can be a part of your life? I hope so, because it's a great promise. And it's not just a piece of feeling, it's a piece of circumstance. That whatever's going on, he's got this. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. I'm not saying I'm there yet. But he says we can be. That's a place we can arrive before this world comes to an end. And then the letter, next one is, doubting the gospel is enough. Doubting the gospel is enough. I've recently got on this kick of streamlining the gospel. The gospel streamlined. It's really, really easy. Now that doesn't mean it's simple. Easy does not all equate simple. There's a lot of easy things for me for my kids, but they make it really hard. What I'm saying is, let's not make the gospel any harder than it has to be. Can can I get an amen? You're like sitting there going, "Well, let's see what you're going to say first, right?" <laughs> I don't know. I know. He looked at Pharisees and he says, you guys bind heavy burdens that you yourselves cannot bear. What am I talking about? Let's not bind anything that's not bound. Because you know what that causes? Anxiety. Well, I can never make those people at church happy. Yeah, duh. Welcome to being a youth minister. right? That's what I tell them. Hey, man, you ain't going to make anybody happy. I know from experience. So, you might as well make one guy happy, and he's a lot easier to please than a lot of church folks. His name is Jesus, and he's the Spirit, too. He's going to tell you, he's a lot easier to please, thank God, right, than a bunch of church going folks. So much easier to please. What I'm saying is, don't add any anxiety to your life that you don't have to. Let's streamline it, because he did. We add all this stuff, you know, and we want to make sure that everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, and we fail to do what we're supposed to do. This loving thing, this loving thing. What is the God loving thing to do? It's a very simple question. In this moment, what's the God loving thing to do? Romans 14, verse 9, or verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace. And for mutual upbuilding, upbuilding, that is a direct command. We don't need any inference there. He literally says, you know, seek out peace and then look for ways to build each other up. We tend to get that backwards, don't we? Let's look for reasons to tear each other down because I don't want to feel better about myself. That's a really easy comparison. You know what? You don't have to look around very long to find somebody that you're better than. Oh, Adolf Hitler, I feel a lot better about myself. Right? Right? That makes it easy. But then I go, well, let's look at Jesus. Oh, there's no comparison. John says, I can't even strap his sandals. You see, that's the challenge. We look to Jesus, and there's always a new challenge. But the beautiful thing about it is we've got grace and mercy to try and meet the challenge. Right? When I coach kids, they're not afraid of me. They're afraid of disappointing who? Mama or daddy. The reason I played football was hopefully that my dad would come to a few games. Never came to a game. My senior year, I finally got it and I said, hey, I enjoy this. I'm going to do this for myself. Bingo. I go to church to please the one who's enlisted me, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Everything is to please him. And if that's the case, I'm going to seek out what does that. I'm going to seek it out. And people can get on board with that, and I think they will because Jesus brings people to him. But there are going to be a lot of people who get off. People who want me to come be a youth minister, preacher, whatever. I tell them, I said, now, if you want a good, hardcore ten people that's going to be on fire for the Lord, I'm the guy. If you want to pack your place out, you better keep looking. Because my track record is pretty pathetic when it comes down to the numbers game. If you want 12 or less, all right, we're talking business. Okay, that's why we play eight-man football, i ever said. You know, (laughs) a little too hardcore for them sometimes. Acts chapter 9, verse 31, and we'll start wrapping this thing up. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, was being built up. There's that phrase again. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. We're first century church folks, right? Yeah. Woo-hoo. You know, there are people in the world who don't care about first century church. And I've had that discussion. I brought up the first century church. What does that mean? But we're first century church folks, right? And here it says first century church was... That their peace and their hope is being multiplied by what? The Holy Spirit is welcome. Right? We can have that. That eternal hope. But we've got to put our trust where? In God. That he will handle our anxieties. There's nothing too big that we're dealing with. Now another place anxiety comes in is when he doesn't quick fix it. Right? When he doesn't quick fix it. I wanted to pray on October 16th. Lord, you take this cancer away now. I'd rather really not go to the hospital and rack up $500,000 worth of debt, you know, on my insurance, right? But because he didn't, I didn't snap my fingers, he didn't fix it. I didn't go question him, right? We want to quick fix. But God says, let's slow down. And let's squeeze everything out of that struggle so that we can be as awesome as we can be on the other side. Peter, right? He could have quick-fixed Peter. Peter's always saying the wrong thing. Always. We have a lot in common in Peter, right? Always saying the wrong thing. He looks at Peter and says, Hey, man, you're going to go places that uh, you didn't intend to go. And Peter does what? What my daughter does. She looks at her brother and goes, well, What about him? Man, isn't he in trouble? And Jesus says, Well, if John never dies, what's that to you? You're going to go do what I want you to do. Right? It's been real easy for me to go. Well, that's not fair. Nobody else has leukemia. Well, open up Facebook, right? And talk about it's not fair. I, I get on Facebook and I look at kids who've got cancer, and I, I just—it's hard for me to even put into words how that feels now, especially because I get to go out, and I get to live life. Those kids are struggling. Innocence. You talk about good people go. Well, how could you not ask? God, why this happened to you? I know what happened to me. I've made bad choices. And the moment I made a bad choice, I deserved to die. And yet, I got life. Right? Those are things that we battle with and we struggle with. But we can be there for those people. Eternal hope. Romans 15, 13. We won't have time to go hit up all of it. John 14, verse 27. We're, we should be close to that passage anyways. If you've been turning with me, we'll go with these John verses. And then we'll wrap up with Philippians John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Notice that that is a, once again, a direct command. Some of those direct commands we really like. Some of them, however, we don't. He says, do not be afraid. He's comforting these guys. He tell them, i I got to go away, but I'm going to send something better than me, Jesus. What are you talking about better than you? That doesn't get better than you, right? Well, what he's saying is, I'm going to come and live in you. You know, I always think, man, how cool would it have been to hang out with Jesus for three years? That would be awesome, right? And Jesus says, you think that's cool. I'm going to go die, raise the third day, and then on the day of Pentecost, I'm going to send myself to live in you, guide you, convict you, seal you, as Ephesians says, to the day of my return. And I'm like, yeah, baby. I want some of that. Give me some of that. Help my heart not be troubled. Use me for your glory. If Jesus took it on the chin the way he took it on the chin, then we can do, the very least, what he asks us to do. John chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have... There's that word. Somebody say it for me. Peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What's the difference between God's peace and the world's peace? God's peace is consistent. It's always there. It's always true. It will never leave you. If you try to find peace in the world, it is a roller coaster. And I'm preaching to people who know that. The world's peace does not last And it will never last. And we've got people all over the world who are seeking that out. People post their pictures so that somebody will say, oh, you're so beautiful. You're so attractive. You're so wonderful. And then when they don't get that validation, and typically they don't, they get everything pointed out. Guess what? They crash and burn. We've got kids committing suicide because of what somebody said to them online. And to me, that's sad. That's terrible. It's awful. But it's not shocking. As Jesus told us he said in the world you're going to have tribulation if you put your hope in that your house will crash because the storms are coming if you've got anxiety we have an answer and I'm going to be honest with you this is confession number two I don't like to pray I don't like to pray y'all judge me right now I don't, I don't. I'm too busy, God. Too busy doing what you want me to do, right? And then he tells me in Philippians, right? 4 verse 6 Do not be anxious in all things prayer and supplication, giving thanksgiving to the Lord. You know why I don't like to pray? Because I sound like a complainer. You know what I don't like in this world? Complainers. There are people I work with who I avoid like a plague. Because I know I'm going to hear some Eeyore story right But <laughs> <laughs> well, what am I here for? You know who Jesus got all the time? Complainers and whiners. And I don't like to pray because I feel like a whiner. But he tells us, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you like nobody else. Nobody else can care for you like he cares for you. He loves you. He knows everything you've ever done and loves you in spite of it. There's a phrase in the song called reckless love. You've got a reckless love. His reckless love refuses to leave you where you are. I thank you so much for listening to a rambling of this old guy here. I love you. I appreciate your prayers. Keep them coming. We still raise these two not-hits. I go get bone marrow boxes every three months. Uh, They don't nearly hurt nearly as much as they used to. Um, Thank the Lord for that. But uh, just keeping in prayers. Thank you. Let's pray and then uh, we'll close. I'll hand it over. Are we done? We're done. We're done. Even better, right? Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we thank you for the blessing of life. God, you want us to have peace. It's a gift that you put out on the table just like uh, your justification and your sanctification. And Lord, so often we look at it. And we walk away without picking it up and living from it. God, we pray tonight that, that we won't do that anymore. That every day, every night that we go to sleep, Lord, we'll pick that piece up. We'll clothe ourselves in it as you have not only wanted us to do, but commanded us to do. God, I know before I get home tonight, I'll worry about something I said tonight and worry how people took it. Lord, I pray that you take that away from me right now. God, there are no telling what kinds of problems and issues are going on in this building right now in the hearts of your saints. But, God, we want to hand those over to you now. I, I want to take a moment and, and just be silent and let everyone here fill in that space. I know no, no matter how long I leave open, there will be other things that, that need to be brought before you, and I pray they take the time to do that later. But I want to pause right now. God, you are so good, and you give us so many gifts that we can never repay you, but Lord, we know that we don't have to. And that's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.